Let me offer a short prayer. Loving Father, we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you would use this wonderful story to bring us closer to your wonderful Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I think I'm going to have to ask you, Mike, to do it for me, if that's possible. Just try it one more time. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, it's every parent's worst nightmare, isn't it? Two days ago, your little child was running around, happy and playing. And today... He's a death door. His head is throbbing. His eyes are sunken. His hands and his body are shaking. His mind is delirious. You're not short of a bit of money, but no doctor has been able to touch this fever. You and your wife are desperate. There's just one thing, one small sliver of hope remaining. There's a wonder worker, Jesus from Nazareth. He's come back up to Galilee from uh, Jerusalem and from Judea, where he's been doing some amazing things. And he's now about um, 25 miles away in Cana. And you and your wife agree that it's your last hope. Maybe he would be willing to come and pay your little son a visit and even heal him. Thank you, Mike. And as this story unfolds, as this desperate need is taken to Jesus of Nazareth, let's observe as we see what happens when a little faith meets a great saviour. If you have a Bible in front of you, then please make it sure it's open at the passage that Rosie read for us, page 1000, page 1066, no, um, <laughs> a year or two after that. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 43, page 1068 in the Church Bible. Um, and if, I, if as I refer to this passage over the next few minutes, you find that I'm not quite matching the words you find in the Bible in front of you, um, I'm not trying to show off, I'm not fluent in New Testament Greek, but I know some men and women who are. And there's one or two points where our version, which is a wonderful version, it's the nearly uh, indispensable version after all, um, 
just smoothed over one or two things. And uh, there's one or two things here that uh, I think we need to give them their slightly sharper edges. Let's see what happens. But let's especially see what happens when a little faith meets a great saviour. Thank you. And again, thank you. First of all, this father comes. He makes the journey from uh, Capernaum, which is on the uh, shore of the Lake of Galilee. And he makes the journey up to the hill town of Cana. A journey by road or by track of about 25 miles. Nearly a day's journey. So he'd probably have had to break that journey somewhere around the uh, little uh, village called Magdala and then complete his journey. And he finally arrives and uh, meets up with Jesus of Nazareth in Cana at about midday. He comes. He makes the journey. He gives it a try. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody here this morning who would consider themselves, uh, as far as the Christian faith is concerned, to be a seeker, an inquirer. You haven't yet made up your mind about this man, Jesus. Can I encourage you to make that journey? Can I encourage you to put yourself in the way of blessing? It may mean continuing to come to church meetings like this, where you can hear the message of Jesus being explained. It may be seeking out and talking to people who you know are followers of Jesus Christ. It may mean reading one or two things, such as our Christmas items, uh, the Christmas pay- uh, playlist, cost one pound, or Tim Chester's The One True Gift, cost four pounds, in order to acquaint yourself further with Jesus, who he is, and what he has done, especially at this Christmas time. Will you make that journey? Will you come? That's the first thing this father did. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. He asks, and he asks again. He asks Jesus to come down to Capernaum and heal his son. Now, in between these two askings, there is a response from Jesus. And it sounds very much like a rebuff, doesn't it? He asked Jesus to come and heal his son, and Jesus says to him, unless you people, so he's talking to the man and to the surrounding crowd, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. It sounds like a rebuff. It sounds like Jesus is almost trying to make life difficult for this poor father. But I don't think he is. What I think Jesus is doing, as he does on several occasions in the Gospels, is to probe. What do you really want? What do you really expect me to do? What do you really think I can do? Do you want me for who I am? Or do you just want me for 
what I can do for you? Are you most interested in the gift or the giver? Jesus is probing. So the man asks, but the man shows, I think, his, the intensity of his desire and the sincerity of his desire, such as it is, by ignoring what Jesus says. doesn't try to explain or excuse himself. He simply asks again, you've got to come or my son will die. He asks and he asks again. Thank you, Mike. And then he hears some more words from Jesus. Remember, the father has said to Jesus, come or my son will die. Jesus says to the father, go, your son lives. What gracious words. What wonderful simplicity. Go, your son lives. I'm giving it just the literal translation there. Thank you. And do you know what? The man believes. He takes Jesus at his word. He has seen nothing. He has witnessed no miracle. The most he expected was that Jesus would come with him. But now he's not saying to Jesus, when Jesus says, your son lives, well, you'd better come with me anyway, just to make sure. Or at least give me a sign so I know what you say is true. It'll take me until almost this time tomorrow to get back to check up for myself. He says none of those things. He takes Jesus at his word and he believes something has happened. Something in that interaction between Jesus and what he said and perhaps how he said it and what that man heard. Again, I'm thinking maybe of um, whether there's somebody here this morning who has read or heard the words of Jesus as recorded in the Bible many times, but they've had no real deep, lasting, changing impact on you. But there can and there does come a moment, and some of you will recognize what I'm talking about, a moment when those words speak to you. And that's the Holy Spirit at work. When the words of Scripture, when the words of Christ speak to you, and you hear them for yourself, Christ is a saviour becomes Christ offers himself as my saviour. Something wonderful is going on in that man's heart. He simply believes. He takes Jesus at his word. Thank you. And then he finds out a little later that he has received what he asked for. He receives what he asks for. Because as he's making his way back to Capernaum, he meets his servants coming back the other way to tell him the good news. 
his question to them is still a little sort of vague. Well, at what sort of time did the little boy begin to recover? And the response is, the fever left him at one o'clock. <laughs> you can just fill out the story a little bit. The mother was there in the little boy's room, mopping his brow, his, his forehead, with cool water. And he's in that state of being perilously ill. She leaves the room for a moment just to get some more cold water. And she goes back into the room and he's sitting on the side of his bed saying, Hi, <laughs> I feel fine now. At that moment, he knows that a real miracle has taken place, that he has received. He had believed before he had seen, before he knew, but now he knows. He's had it confirmed. Thank you. And then, verse 53, not only he, but all his household. So that's him, and I guess the little boy, and the other brothers and sisters, and the servants, and his wife, all believe. Because you know God deals with us quite often, not only as individuals, but as groups of people and as families. That's the way God works in scripture and in our own lives. Now, I'm not sure whether we ever meet this family again in scripture. But, you know, I think we might do. This man is described early in our story as a royal official. That means he was in the employment of Herod Antipas, who was a kind of, not exactly a king, but a sort of a king, a sort of would-be king up in that area. We meet one other royal official, and we meet him in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 8, we read of a man and a wife. The man's name is Chusa, and the wife's name is Joanna. Chusa is an official in Herod's household. He's the manager of Herod's affairs. And Joanna is one of those dear women who went around with Jesus and his disciples supporting them on their travels and in their ministry. And what is more, in Luke chapter 24, this same Joanna is mentioned as one of the women who is the first witnesses, who are the first witnesses of the empty tomb of Jesus. I can't prove it to you, but I think it's a distinct possibility that this father and this mother are Chusa and Joanna, and they date their conversion to the healing of their son. Thank you. So we have here a double miracle. A distant miracle involving the healing of a dangerously sick child and a secret miracle wrought on the hearts, on the souls of that family as they all believed, as they all became followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you.
The first, the miraculous healing, which we experienced by one person, little boy, is, do you see what it says in verse 54, a sign. So it's pointing to something else. Thank you. And that miracle points as a sign to something else. The second miracle, the belief, the faith of that entire family. The one miraculous healing available to some. Faith in Jesus Christ available to each and every one. Thank you. So what is it if Jesus does not say to every parent of every sick child, your son lives, he only says that to some, what does Jesus say to us all which that healing points to? Thank you. Let's just, let's just look on ahead to a few promises that Jesus makes to each and every one of us later on in John's Gospel. Addressed to all of us, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Do you see the universality of that promise? Anyone and everyone can come to Jesus and never hunger and thirst again. Next, thank you. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, it's addressed to whoever. It's addressed to you and to me. If we follow Christ, we are following a light that will never lead us astray. And the next. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. It may be that you think that your faith is really quite little, quite small, quite weak. It wouldn't be great to have a strong faith, a miracle-working and a mountain-moving faith. Yes, but even a little faith can enter through that door and be saved. And the next... Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Of course, death is sad, and perhaps especially the death of a child. But Jesus holds out hope in something beyond even such tragedy. Life beyond death, life in him, living even after dying. And next. So therefore, my closing word to you this morning is this, based on this passage, as we see a little faith grow and become strong, not because the faith itself is strong, but because it clings to a strong saviour. If you think your faith is weak this morning, don't trust in your faith. Don't look to your faith, but look rather to...
to whom you have placed your faith in. Trust rather in his strong grasp on you. The other day, I put our little eight-month-old granddaughter on my shoulders. And she held my hands, and I held her hands. If she had been holding on to me, she might have fallen off. But boy, I was not going to let her fall. And she didn't, because I was holding on to her. And that's the same between Jesus and ourselves. Enough faith. Faith is the eye that sees him. Faith is the hand that receives him. Faith is the foot that runs to him. And just a little faith can take, can cling to a great saviour and find life everlasting and a real purpose in life and a hope that conquers even death itself. Amen. And a closing prayer. Lord Jesus, may this story not just be a distant tale, but a real truth for each of us, wherever we are in our walk with you. Maybe we haven't yet quite caught up with you. Or maybe we think our faith is weak and faltering. Maybe we wish for a stronger and more effective faith. But if you would just but plant that seed in our hearts, if you would just but kindle that spark in our lives, we trust you that you will not let a smouldering wick be extinguished, that you will not let that bruised reed be broken. We trust in you. Amen.